Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. This is Mary's visit to Elizabeth, uh, as prompted by the angel in his enunciation to her of, of her conception. Uh, before I read the passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he had blessed the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning in the name of Christ. And as we sit at the feet of the evangelist Luke, and as we read and hear of the blessedness of the mother of our Savior, we ask that with like faith we would give you praise and that we would magnify your name. We pray, dear Lord, that your Spirit would accompany the reading of your word and the preaching of it this morning, that he might take that word and plant it in good soil in our hearts, and that it might grow and produce faith and repentance and obedience and fruits to magnify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1. Verses 39 through 56. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. From, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. Here we have in our passage the, uh, the blessings pronounced upon Mary by uh, the Holy Ghost, uh, actually, uh, through the, the voice and the prophecy of Elizabeth, her cousin, and the praise and gratitude that she, that is Mary, returns unto the Lord in that. Uh, this was a visit that, as I mentioned before, was prompted by uh, the assurance that the angel gave Mary of of the words that he had spoken of his ability, not the angel's ability, but the Lord's ability, to do that which was uh, beyond conception, 
uh, beyond uh, understanding, uh, even beyond what was, e- uh, what was in the sacred record of God's mighty acts, that a virgin would conceive, uh, that she would bring forth a child uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and not just any child, but the Son of God, and not in the Greek understanding of a certain demigod that is half man and half God, uh, but that he would be the Son of God and the Son of Man. That uh, this would uh, be a new and a holy work uh, that was coming into the world. That he would be the Christ, uh, that he would be uh, the redemption of Israel, that he would be the fulfillment of all the promises made unto the church heretofore. That in him all things would find their focus. And he had told her, for God nothing shall be impossible. And he does that by pointing out the the power that uh, the Lord had worked uh, on Elizabeth in verse 36. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And while there is no exact commandment, go and have your faith strengthened there, it is clear that this is mentioned to Mary, not just to, to remind her that God can do all things, but for as, as, a, as an aid for her own faith. And Mary, in obedience to the angel, takes that cue, and she immediately with haste, we read in verse 39, that this is uh, her focus, this is the focus of her attention, is to, uh, to commune with Elizabeth, to, uh, to express and give vent to what up to this point has nevertheless to, to, is a certain hidden thing. Uh, she, she, she knows Elizabeth has also been visited and is also involved in, in this great work of the Lord so she can confide in her and express her overflowing thanks, uh, but also that her faith might be all the more founded. Uh, this is one of the things that sometimes our own minds, and this is the pride within our own hearts, works against. We feel like that faith, to be faith and virtuous and true, needs to be able to stand without support. And yet what we find in Scripture that God always gives support for faith. Uh, that is one of the things that we're called to do, to remember the mighty works of the Lord. Just about every other psalm has that as its theme, is the remembrance of the works of the Lord, because it is in the remembrance of what He has done that our confidence in what He does and will do is founded. And so Mary does not look with a false sense of spiritual pride. She doesn't look at it with, a, with an overconfidence in her own faith that, that Elizabeth is, brought, is, is with child and therefore she can remain in her uh, little backwater of Nazareth with this great contemplation of what the God has revealed. She will go because she's a human being and put her eyes on that which the Lord has done. And therefore, her faith will be confirmed. And this is, by the way, one of the great works of the church is to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is uh, uh, fundamentally a memorial, not just one, 
and not one certainly that is just a recalling of things. It's a participation in the history of what Christ has done. So his, his one sacrifice, the, the fruit of that one sacrifice is then brought forth to every age of the church to confirm our faith and to feed our faith and to nourish our faith. And, and we see even here that Mary, a model of faith to the church, one that can stand as a representative of the whole church in her devotion and faithfulness, goes and has her faith strengthened in Elizabeth. Now, when she comes, uh, she has her faith strengthened in ways that she perhaps did not intend. That the Lord is going to overwork this uh, confirmation. He is going to come to her with prophecy before Mary says anything else but, Hey, Elizabeth, I'm here. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that forerunner of the Christ jumps in her womb. And, and they're both filled with the Holy Spirit by prophecy. We ought not to necessarily think that because the babe is jumping in the womb that he has the full cognitive abilities that he will have as an adult. But it does show the humanity of that child and even in his capacity that he has, the Holy Spirit is able to work spiritual uh, truth there and joy there, that it's not just a clump of cells in the womb that, that uh, the mother is carrying, but it is a life that is even then set to serve and praise God, to do that thing that all mankind is designed to do, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if we do it from the very moments of our beginning, then it is a truly blessed life, because if we are His, we will do it for all eternity. And so Mary comes... But she has greeted herself with the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth pronounces a true twofold blessing upon her. Uh, in, in verse 42 and 43, we see the first of them. That she carries the Lord in her womb. She carries Elizabeth's Lord in her womb. It's important to note that while the word Lord can have its regular meaning... Is just a, a, a person of power, a person of authority over another. And it does have that meaning, uh, even in the Greek. The Kyrios uh, that has that meaning. Luke has not used the word Lord that way yet. Luke has used the word Lord only in reference to Jehovah. The, the word that replaces Jehovah in the Greek language is Kyrios. And he has used the word Lord, often in connection with the Lord God, in this way. And Elizabeth, uh, speaking very much like David does in Psalm 110, The Lord saith to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Uh, she says uh, to Mary, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. This is basically, in a short form, the, the message that Gabriel has already given uh, to Mary. 
And he also speaks to her blessedness and blessedness among women and the fact that she carries the Lord in her womb. Hail thou that art highly favored among women, verse 38, uh, 28. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And verse 30, fear not Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And in verse 35, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is all encapsulated in Elizabeth's greeting to Mary uh, that... Hail thou blessed amongst women, and bless the fruit of thy womb. Why is it that the mother of my Lord has sought to give me an audience? That, that if there was any doubt in Mary about what was going on in her and how the Lord will be used for her, she has the, the message that she received from the angelic coast, the, the, the archangel Gabriel, repeated to her by her cousin Mary, who had as yet not spoken to Mary, except by way of salutation. And therefore, she is clearly, and Mary is understanding this, she is clearly speaking by prophecy of the Holy Ghost. And that is why it's told to us that as the babe jumps in her womb, that the Holy Ghost filled her. And she also confirms that when she mentions uh, that that for lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And she knew that this was not just uh, the, the, the stirring of a, of a very active little boy in her body, uh, but that this was part of his mission as well. And so she's blessed because she carries the Lord in her womb. And it is a blessing. Uh, we do honor her. Uh, we, we don't dishonor her by making her a substitute for the Redeemer. We don't dishonor her by making her one that lords over the Lord. But we do honor her as the one that God honored and highly favored and brought forth His Son into the world. She is a vessel of our salvation in that sense. And, and she is one that we ought always to look at. And we ought not let the corruptions that have accrued around her uh, overshadow or tarnish our own looking at her role that God has singled her out for. Remember, it is under prophecy that we have the instruction for all generations to call her blessed. And all generations have called her blessed. And this is... You know, what other woman from the first century for, for 2,000 years has been called blessed? And only the women that are in connection with Jesus Christ are even known. I mean, if you have Roman history, you might pull forth one or two others here and there. But very few of those are called blessed. Uh, they're more notorious than anything else. But here we have at the very center, and as a fulfillment of the same words that we, 2021, 
let me remember my calendar, are still referring to this woman. And we're doing so because what she did, what was done for her and through her, matters and is true. And we wouldn't remember her name if her son wasn't the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. And so this is her blessing, uh, that she was uh, pulled out of the world to, to, with this great honor to carry our Lord, not as one that didn't need the salvation. Note when she speaks of her gratitude and magnifies the Lord, she rejoices in God, her Savior. She is one of us. She recognizes that she is one of us. She is not immaculately conceived without the stain of original sin. She is part and partaker of the church's salvation and redemption. She benefits from her son's kingship and saviorhood as much as anybody else did and does. So the second reason that she is blessed is because she believes. In verse 45, And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. If you think about Elizabeth's words here, they sound almost like a tautology. For those who don't know, a tautology is one of those things where we say the same thing twice. Uh, it's, uh, hell is hot, or the North Pole is cold, or you know, say something that is uh, obvious uh, to say. And yet... Oftentimes, it is because of her own corruption that the obvious thing needs to be reminded. Uh, she believes. True happiness, we see, comes from believing the Lord and receiving what we believe. Receiving what is promised. Uh, there is, in the world, a notion that faith is a good thing. And then you look at what they mean by faith, and it, it is at best credulity. It is more often a certain sort of optimism without any great foundation. If you look at faith as defined by a Disney cartoon or by Oprah Winfrey or by whatever is the, the life coach of the moment, you'll find that faith has this idea that you just got to accept, uh, you just got to believe it will happen. Or you just got to believe and there's no object to it. Very rarely does uh, faith have a focus because it isn't really faith that they're speaking of. It is just sort of a, a good attitude. That's not what we mean when we say faith. Uh, what we mean is trust, and trust to be trust has to have something that it focuses on. And you can trust many different things. But if your trust is in the Lord, it needs to be based on what the Lord Himself has promised. Not just some happy-go-lucky hope that at the end of the day, He's going to be pleased with you just because. There is a passage of Scripture that speaks to that. Christ Himself says there are many that have this sort of weird faith that say, Lord, Lord, did we not work mighty deeds in your name? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not teach in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There is no common ground between us. There was no trusting me as I am offered to you in the gospel. There's no focus on the word of God. And when we say word of God, 
you know, we can mean many different things. We do mean scripture, but that's not, it's not just that there's this book that we trust, but that this is the direction and teaching of God. And we trust what God has promised. And Mary has this spoken to her that she will be uh, the mother of her Lord. And her blessedness is twofold. It's in the actual believing and it's receiving what you believe. And so that teaches us about our own faith, does it not? When we trust in Jesus Christ, the blessedness of this faith is receiving what He has promised. Which is deliverance from the power of sin. Which is uh, uh, certainly a, a deliverance from the condemnation of the law. But it's not sort of a get out of jail free card that I can just go sinning and indulging in the, the bondage of Satan and at the end of my days I'm going to be received into heaven because I made this decision at one time in my life that didn't really matter to me. That's not how he's offered to you and that's not, that's not receiving what you're trusting in. That's not receiving what he has promised and you won't receive it. But a blessed faith is one that finds its happiness in the object of itself. The object of faith. I trust in Jesus Christ to redeem me from sin and all that that entails. And my blessedness and happiness for all eternity won't be that I'm in a paradise, but it will be that I am in a holy paradise. That I am with God. That I am like God. And of course, all these other things will be added unto you. I'm not saying denying the other blessednesses, but they don't come apart from what is promised, which is holiness in Christ Jesus. And Mary is blessed because she will receive that. And sure, happiness is coming in receiving what has been promised to her. And as we'll see, what's promised to her is not going to be easy are pleasant. She is an unmarried woman as yet. And the father of her child is not her betrothed husband. And even if he comes around, which he does uh, very quickly, there's always going to be the shadow of rumor and mumbling. We see it even in the life of Christ. Uh, there is uh, oftentimes a reference to his parentage, either as Mary and Joseph or just simply Mary, with a sneer. It was not easy for Mary to be the mother of Christ. At no point in Christ's earthly life uh, was his mother in a position to, to bank off of his reputation. And even after his ascension into heaven, uh, in her lifetime, the church was not the mistress of the empire. She died, as, as tradition tells us, in Ephesus uh, before the fall of Jerusalem, before even uh, that first of the great prophecies of Christ was, was brought to, be, to, to bear. Her life was a life of hardship. But it was also her blessing. 
So, these are the twofold blessedness that she has. And Mary uh, returns and magnifies the, uh, magnifies the Lord in praise and gratitude because her blessedness is really in the Lord. Everything about her blessedness is the Lord. And this is the, the, the focus of this song, the Magnificat, uh, named from the Latin, first word in the Latin. Uh, my soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in the God, my Savior. He has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Not he has regarded my humility, but he has regarded the fact that, uh, that though no one else regards me, he regarded me. And from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. It's important to remember, she's speaking this as a virgin mother with child. And yet, even in that which the Jews and her husband-to-be might think is a mark of unholiness, she sees the mark of God's might and righteousness and purity and holiness. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Mary is not just relisting the great things of the Lord and putting her position in it. She's seeing everything in regards to what he's doing with her right now. She blesses his grace and mercy, verses 46 through 50, uh, as, as she... The, it wasn't from the household of Herod that um, uh, the, the mother of Christ came. It wasn't when Judah had the scepter that the mother of Christ came. It wasn't when uh, Galilee and the dominions of Judea were independent of Roman rule that Christ came. It wasn't even in if there were any of the great wealthy houses of the tribe of Judah and even of the household of David that deliverance came. But one of low degree. And she blesses that as uh, typical of the Lord's might and mercy and goodness and peace. But she moves from His grace and mercy, the beauty of, of lifting up the lowly on high, that, that, that making equal, not in a, in a communistic sense, but in that, that strange and wondrous way that God has of of doing the unexpected that we praise regardless that we see it. We see it even, even in weird little ways like the underdogs in a sport event. We see the beauty of that. When the underdog wins, there's a certain sort of, uh, uh, of, of rightness to it. And, and Mary, in the, in the central thing God does for mankind, Mary is right there in the middle of it. As, as the one who is lifted up. Because she was nothing. She was nothing without him. And nevertheless, that's who he takes to make something. And so she praises his grace and beauty, but she goes on to praise his power and justice because this is not without reference to the wicked and the powerful. That this, when God is merciful, he is also just. When God is in goodness, in His kindness, He's also harsh because there are those that are set against Him. 
And so he has shown his strength with his arm, and he's scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And she cannot but help think of the rule of Judea at this time, the house of Herod and its iniquity, the fact that the high priesthood was in the hands of the Sadducees, which were the vilest and most worldly and materialistic of the Jewish sects, that the Pharisees that had a reputation of holiness were arrogant and self-righteous and hypocrites. All of these will be brought low and judged And those that were forgotten of the faithful, just as Elijah thinking he was the only faithful, and God says, no, no, there's 7,000 that has not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, Mary recognizes she was one of those 7,000 in a way. She is one of those that were faithful that seemed to be forgotten by the great, but not by God. And so he has brought down the mighty from their seats. And he has exalted them of low degree. What is the fulfillment of that statement? But Christ who is born in a manger, who was hunted in a generic sort of way, who is despised in his earthly ministry, but has sat on the throne of his kingdom for 2,000 years. He has filled the hungry with good things. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he has sent the rich away empty. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner. If you are self-satisfied in your world, then you will be sent away empty. You neither hunger for Christ, nor will you be filled with him. This Mary sees, even at this early stage of the gospel, because of what he has done for her. And so she blesses his power, his grace and mercy, his power and justice, and also then his truth and faithfulness. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And by the way, she, we, we get a little bit of covenant theology here. When she views the covenant made with Israel, she's not focusing on the Mosaic law, is she? She's going all the way back as Paul does in Romans 4 and says the covenant of grace, the pulling out of the church begins with Abraham and it's not just with his, the seed of his flesh but the seed of his promise. Not all Israel is Israel. Uh, she sees this here and she recognizes though what is going on is the Lord's faithfulness to his promises. That she is the, the embodiment at least until Christ comes into the world, she is the vessel by which all the promises made to Israel, to the church, are coming to fruition. And we see, and we can pull from this, several doctrines about our own salvation. Uh, We see it is for the humbled that, that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 26 to the following. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to conform the wise, including a backwater virgin. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound them which are mighty. He's done so in Mary. 
and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, and yea, things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, everything that we need, all of our blessedness, everything that we uh, would hunger and thirst after, we find in Christ. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and deliverance. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And Mary, when she glories, she glories in the Lord. Everything she says about herself is to humble herself. Everything she speaks of the Lord magnifies his work and magnifies what is done. This is a faithful and saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's what Paul tells Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 15. It is a fit summary of what Mary tells the world in her song, uh, the Magnificat. So, also, the satisfied. Again, those that are, are, are satisfied with worldly things. They'll receive nothing. Uh, this, this is, that is the, 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 the judgment of Christ. The scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answered, said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, the, the, the trick, if you will, of that statement is that Jesus isn't saying they aren't sick. Jesus isn't saying that they are righteous, but they don't know it. They don't view themselves properly, and they will be turned away empty. This we learn already in Mary's praise. So, question is for us, is Mary's blessedness your blessedness, my blessedness? Is your faith focused on the Lord's glory as Mary's was? Mary rejoiced in the Lord's mercy, justice, and truth. She wasn't just looking at the good things he would do for her, but he was also, she was also recognizing that God's glory was in that mercy, and God's glory then resounded also to his judgment, and then also to the praise of his truth, that she remembered past promises, that everything that she rejoiced in was not just focused on her own happiness in it, but the Lord's glory in it. And again, nothing she rejoiced in was going to make her life easy. And not, nothing she rejoiced in was going to make her life pleasant. And we need to learn ourselves, and we need to teach our children that blessedness is not easy or pleasant, and this is a blessedness that is happiness also. This, uh, not every word here translated blessedness can be translated happiness, but some of these can. And certainly uh, Elizabeth speaking that blessed is she which believed, uh, for there shall be a performance of those things from the Lord that were promised her. That is happiness, a form of it. And we need to, under- we need to understand ourselves, we need our children to understand that the blessed life, the happy life, is not one that is necessarily pleasant or comfortable. And if you convey to your children that the blessed life is one that is wealthy, one that is without problems, 
then you are doing your children a disservice spiritually. You're doing your children a disservice for their future. Because it isn't always an easy thing to follow Christ. Christ himself describes it as taking up a cross. But it is a blessed life. There is joy to come from it. Because despite all the promises of the world, the world promises a lot. The world is also a liar. The Lord promises and delivers. And his promises are everlasting. And the good that he promises is really a good. There is no shame in the pleasure of holiness. There is no shame in the exercise of righteousness. There is no shame in the speaking of truth. It might be easier to say what is false. It might be uh, more pleasant for the moment to indulge in what is not holy or pure. It might be more profitable to do what is not righteous. But the shame will have its due. And the judgment will come to pass. And so we learn our happiness rests also in believing the Lord. As defined by his promises. Satisfaction in anything else. Hope and confidence in anything else. Will be turned away empty. So let us follow. The faith of Mary, not put our faith in Mary, but as she did, in the glory and mercy of the Lord, that we might enjoy the same blessedness that Mary does, because her blessedness is the church's blessedness. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask in his name and by his work that you would bless us that we would have our faith fully planted upon your promises, that we would take every effort to confirm those promises in our life, that we would rejoice in them and magnify your name for them, that we would remember your mercies to us, that we would rejoice in your judgment against iniquity, that we would remember your faithfulness and truth to all generations, that we might have our joy in the performance of your promises, and in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.